Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. And uh, those of you who are gathered online, I'm glad that you are online as well. But hey, you know what? Some of you I have not seen in church in a while, and I would really like to see you in here. You know who you are. I know. I know who you are. And so do you. So anyway, no, no guilt whatsoever. Just would love to see your shining face here. So I have a, I got to tell you a story. This is just, so here's the deal. When you follow God, like when you really follow God, there is an element of risk. You you just need to understand that. Um, There's a a famous story about a preacher who uh, had a turnaround in his own life when he saw a guy wearing a sandwich board that said, I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? Ooh, that one cuts a little close, doesn't it? But there's this idea that if you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom and you're going to serve the king, there is an element of risk to it. And um, it comes in a variety of different forms. Sometimes you'll get an idea or a thought that just seems absolutely crazy. But you know you got to do something about it or you got to say something or whatever. So last week, um, as I was uh, uh, prepping for that Sunday, the um, Lord kind of gave me this vision about someone who had a nervous pit in their stomach. And then um, what I saw was that nervousness replaced by light, or, or white, I guess is really what it was, and it came up from kind of that midsection out through the mouth, and it was very obvious that um, it was a prophetic word and, and words of life. And so if you remember at the end of service, I mentioned something about that, and I said, hey, if that's you, then you know, let us know and we'd like to pray for you, but, you know, just understand God's with you in this. And so our our friend uh, Jeanette came up to us um, last last week and she was telling us about a situation. Lisa and I got a chance to pray with her about it, but essentially she has a friend who lives in in Canada who um, has been exploring alternative religions and is facing a cancer diagnosis. And um, what uh, Jeanette said to us was that she really felt like she needed to say something about that. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, the Lord's answering prayers like right now. <laughs> you, know, you know, you get this kind of vision, you have no idea, you put it out there. And so she came down and we got a chance to pray for her. Well, I got, a, I got an update today. Are you ready for this? Because this is awesome. So <clears throat> she said that she had talked to her friend in uh, Canada uh, the day that she got her test. And um, uh, the results came back a whole lot quicker, and she was supposed to hear later in that day. And as Jeanette was talking with her, she, she was just kind of worried, and Jeanette just said, well, I just declare you don't have it. You don't have cancer. And was you know, very sure of herself, at least in her words, and uh, just kind of trusting God for that. And later that day, um, this friend of hers posted online that her blood work came back cancer-free. Right? Now, now here's the thing. Would the diagnosis have gone that way had she not said anything? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because the prophetic word is the one that gives hope. And that's what that person needed in that moment needed that hope that there was a God who loved her and needed to hear that, whether she knew it or not. 
And, and I'm just thankful that Jeanette was willing to risk it, to say it, because there's risk in that. There's risk in giving the prophetic utterance. There's a risk in saying it to someone else. There's a risk to stand on the declarations of God. I mean, I, you know, when God says it's words of life, man, he is not kidding. Words of life, for real. So I just want to celebrate God for that one. I mean, I'm just so thankful that he's, you know, faithful in those things and that you know, we get to tell that story. And so when you are faced with one of those risks where you're like, oh God, I don't know about this. Just remember, take the step of faith and see where God's leading you and guiding you in that, okay? So keep that in mind. Um, all of this just kind of speaks to this theme that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, which is really about living life with Holy Spirit on a, on a, daily, on a daily basis. And today I want to examine one of the, the big events associated with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, we're actually going to spend two weeks here. Uh, there's just so much here. I, I, I just had to divide it out into two weeks. And I think it's a big deal and it has loads of implications for us. And so I'm going to invite you to Acts chapter 2. Yeah, we're going to talk about that verse. Uh, I mentioned it in the past, but there's just so much here that, that we, we need to talk about. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and, and start looking for Acts chapter 2. Um, we're going to camp out in the uh, kind of the first, uh, I guess, 10, 12 verses of it. As you're looking, let me remind you kind of where we are in the storyline. Jesus has been crucified. He has uh, been resurrected, and he has ascended into heaven at this point in the story. And just before he left them, Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from, from on high. Now, we need to hit the pause button right there because we're talking about some risk here, okay? Now, think this through because you and I have read the story but at that moment in time, those people did not know the end of the story. They were actually just living it. How excited would you be to, to stay in a city that had just killed your rabbi? I mean, honestly, think about that. Most of us would be packing the car ready to go somewhere else. And Jesus says to them right then and there, you need to stay here until you receive power. You need to be in a hostile environment. Yay! Doesn't that sound like fun? And so what we're told is that the disciples would spend time together. Of course they would. They were a little afraid to go outside. Because those same religious leaders who had just orchestrated the death of their rabbi, their teacher, the one that they had spent the last three years with, the miracle worker, that one, those people were still in charge of the temple where they were supposed to go and do their prayers every day. That was a scary environment. I don't care who you are. And, and they're guilty by association. And don't think that there weren't some people in the crowd who were kind of looking to see who was hanging out with Jesus, right? So keep this in mind. This is a hostile environment. And Jesus says, yeah, I want you to stay there. Some of us have, a, have had a hard time staying in jobs that we didn't like. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to listen for what God has to say. 
But he says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And, and the other thing, too, is you have to remember, this is not their home. They're visiting from up north, right? So not only is it a hostile environment, it's also not the most familiar thing to them because they're from out of town and they're supposed to um, stick around for all of this. And here's another thing that has just baffled me for so long. Until you receive power from on high. Now remember, earlier in the story, Jesus gave them the ability to cast out demons and to heal the sick. What other kind of power is there? I mean, that's pretty impressive as it is to be able to do those kinds of things. And yet Jesus says, "Mm -mm, no, you need to stay here until you receive power. So that wasn't power? Yeah, that wasn't the whole story. You understand? So there's all kinds of nuance and dimension to this where you begin to realize that there's something truly profound that's coming. And you have to, you have to believe that it's reasonable there would be a certain amount of anxiety and nervousness on the part of those, of those disciples. But at least they were together, right? They would gather together frequently and, it, and, and uh, we'll see here just in a minute that they were all gathered together in one particular kind of place. And hey, don't ever underestimate the power of community. Especially in times of uncertainty. Sometimes when you're uncertain, the thing that you want to do is isolate. Don't fall into that trap. That's, that's the enemy's divide and conquer Sometimes you need to lean into the community, even if you're uncertain. And that's what they did here. So let's read the passage, and I want to make some comments about it. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Okay? So they were hanging out. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. How many of you would really like a violent wind right now because it's kind of hot in here, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. Verse three, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. God lights the fire, we have to tend it, remember? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Um, We're actually gonna talk about these verses in particular next week. Here's where I want you to to really pay close attention. Verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Um, Now, just just for a bit of reference here, what they were saying, aren't these a bunch of rednecks? Seriously. They were from up north. That's hillbilly country, okay? They're not educated. Isn't this a group of rednecks? Yes, they are. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Alamites residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, um, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and, and, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, 
we, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? We'll spend some time next week talking about wind and fire, but I really want to look at the effects of what's happening here when the Holy Spirit showed up. Bewildered, the crowd came because they heard their own language being spoken. What a sight, what a sound that must have been. And what's not clear in the text is if the, the sound that captured their attention was the languages being spoken, or the sound of the violent wind. I suspect it's probably both. You hear one, and then you hear the other, and go, oh, wow, and there's a certain amount of bewilderment. What's, what's actually happening here? <clears throat> In verse 9, we have this list of repre represented nations. Uh, there's some 18 of them, I suppose. And what's interesting is that if you started plotting these on a map, it is a wide geographic area. So when it's talking about all parts, literally means all a part of the Mediterranean world and, and beyond um, throughout the ancient near, near East. And they're declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Now, I want to make a brief word here about tongues because there's, there's there's a lot of ink that's been spilled on this, and there's been a lot of, well, let's just call it what it is, conflict and controversy around it. So let's, let's talk a little bit about this. <clears throat> this uh, more or less came to a head in the 50s and 60s and even into the 70s within um, the evangelical church because there was a, a movement among a lot of denominations um, where the gifts of the Spirit were be, uh, beginning to show up and uh, again, and, and uh, uh, being emphasized, and tongues, for whatever reason, seem to scare people. So let's talk a little bit about that. I think we need, we need to. And there are two types of tongues, uh, typically, uh, when we're talking about this particular uh, phenomenon, right? First, you have human language. This is when Holy Spirit gives a person ability to speak and understand a language that they have not studied, um, this often shows up for missionaries uh, when they encounter um, different uh, tribes and they haven't had you know, necessarily opportunity to learn that tribal language and yet somehow are empowered to do so. Okay? This, this happens from time to time. Uh, and there are other examples of this too. You may know of, of some uh, more specific than I do. But they're given by God. They're previously unstudied. Um, but this is what we're hearing or what we're seeing, what we're reading in this particular chapter. It's a known language that was unstudied by this group of rednecks, and they were still able to speak it because the Holy Spirit gave them utterance for it. <clears throat> the second is the one that's the most controversial, the second type of language. It's an angelic, or it's a prayer language, and, and kind of the reference point for this is 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul says very um, very clearly, though I speak in the, the, the language of angels, right? And so it's kind of this prayer language, and it's one that um, every time that I've heard it, it sounds vaguely Hebraic or Aramaic to me. It's kind of got that feel to it. Uh, it's not Aramaic. It's not Hebrew. It's something else entirely. But it's a spiritual given, a gift given to an individual to strengthen the believer, and what's so interesting is that very often, not always, but very often, people who are the survivors of abuse, 
um, or have had um, significant trauma in their lives are often given the gift of tongues because it's one that they can control. They can kind of turn it off and turn it on. Uh, Other people have described a slightly different experience where they're just overwhelmed by the presence of God and things just start flowing out. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor, a Church of God pastor, and uh, I may have told this story before, but uh, he finished his, his message one Sunday and opened up his altar for prayer and just felt on his own that he needed to go down for prayer. And uh, so he was kneeling there and someone from his, uh, his board came up on his left side and put um, their hand on, on his shoulder and someone else from the congregation came and put their hand on his right shoulder and he could hear both of them kind of praying just you know, very uh, quietly to themselves but you know, out loud so that he could hear them. And the, the woman on his right began to speak in tongues. And the first thing that my friend uh, James uh, uh, said was, oh, I hope there's an interpretation for this. And then over a couple of minutes, um, she started speaking in English again, and then she went back to tongues, and then she was silent. And um, my friend James said, I got up, and I didn't speak a word of it to anybody. (laughs) Because he was like, I'm not sure what just happened. The very next day, he's at a softball game. And the person that was on his left shoulder, his board member, also happened to be there, And he just said, well, that was kind of interesting what happened yesterday. And the board member said, yeah, that was really amazing. And uh, Pastor James said, he said, I, you know, speaking in tongues and then in English and then in tongues again. I wasn't sure where it was going. And the person looked at him and said, what are you talking about? She spoke in tongues the entire time. Yeah, the Lord had him interpret what he was hearing. Was there interpretation? Oh, yeah, right? But he didn't understand that language until the Lord gave him the ability to understand it. And for him, it was one of those seminal moments where he's like, okay, you know, the Holy Spirit is active. He knew the Holy Spirit was active, but in this particular case, it became very personal for him. I find that very interesting. And there, there, um, there's been quite a bit of controversy um, in some areas, uh, even within the Church of God. Uh, you will find congregations within our tribe who are, are what's the word I'm even looking for? Um, it's not like they're you know pro and against, but there's there's people who are like yeah it's you know it's a fine kind of thing as long as it's done with order, and there are other congregations like Mm-mm, no that's not for us. Okay, that's fine. In my particular take is on it, the spiritual gifts are available for all people at all times, but there will be order. There will be order because that's what Paul demands in 1 Corinthians 14, and he's just following God. And I think that that's fine. So if you, you know, want to speak in tongues and, and do that because it's what the Lord has gifted you as you're kind of doing your own prayer thing, hey, man, that's cool. Uh, we're just not going to be shouting it out and jumping up and down and that kind of thing because we just don't feel like that's kind of the order that the Lord has given us to do. Um, but it's his church, right? And so if he wants to visit upon people. So I maintain both um, the idea of the two types. There are human languages and there are, is some type of angelic prayer language. And I don't claim to understand uh, how it all works. I just think that it's there and there needs to be order. Um, according to 1 Corinthians 14. So there'll be any, you know, we want interpretation and that sort of thing if we need it. 
But very often I know uh, some people when they're praying for healing um, will often step back and uh, as they're allowing God to do the work in the individual, they'll just very quietly pray and sometimes they'll pray in tongues. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Because the point is the Lord is worshiped. It's not about the healing. It's about the healer. It's not about the worship. It's about who we worship, the object of it. Does this make sense? And so if Holy Spirit wants to enable his people to do things, then he gets to do that because it's his church. And we want to be able to to, um, follow along. Now, let me hit the let me hit the pause button on on that, because when I think about that that image, I mean, you have this this wind, and then you have this infilling, and then they start spilling out into the streets because they just can't hold it in anymore, and they're they're talking. Can you imagine what that sight and sound was? And then people all around the Mediterranean world, um, you know, hearing non natives extolling God in a language that they actually understand. I I just, I can't even imagine what that would be like. You know, first of all, just the diversity that was in the city at that time with all those languages, and yet here they are, and they're hearing the wonders of God in their own language. And this is the thing I want you to to make sure that you kind of tuck away. And if you've got a journal, this would be a great thing for you to write down, because God speaks your language, Whatever language you have, you know, years ago, and you still hear it from time to time, there was this book about your five love languages, right? I think there's like closer to seven or eight, but, you know, somebody wrote a book and there's five. Okay, that's fine. But God speaks all of them, and he knows what yours is, and he'll speak it to you if if you're listening to him. But he, he wants you to understand him, and sometimes I think we believe that God is just this great big mystery and we're trying to figure it out. When all the while he's going, no, 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 I want you to understand. I want to communicate with you. Um, I want you to know me. And if he wants us to know him, why would he be such a mystery? That doesn't mean he isn't mysterious. But we need to start from a position of, this is a God who's really interested and wants me to know him. That is a fundamental shift, I think, in a a lot of people. Why would he want to adopt you as a son and daughter and then keep you in the dark about everything? That doesn't even make sense, right? So if you're a son or a daughter, typically if you have kids, and those of you who have kids or have had kids, you know that you kind of have to bring them along. You can't give them everything all at once. You would overwhelm them. And so it is with God. He brings us along into maturity. And as we go, he gives us a little bit more and a little bit more, the things that we can handle. And if I don't know everything, I have to trust. There's a reason why I don't know everything. Because he's trustworthy. And he wants us to know him. So keep that in mind. But there's this question that the crowd asks that I think is absolutely crucial. It's, it's an amazing question, really. They were amazed, which by the way, that, um, that word in Greek, um, sometimes it's uh, translated as astonished or uh, better yet, thrown out of position. Not sure what to make of it, right? 
And then it says they're amazed and they're perplexed, which means they're at a loss. In other words, something is happening here I don't have categories for. That's, that's the feeling of the crowd, amazed and perplexed. And they ask this question, and I think that's the one that we, we ought to be asking all the time. What does this mean? What's happening here? But more importantly, what does this mean? We don't necessarily understand it, but wait a second. This has got to be something. This is, this is truly outside of anything we've ever seen before. So what does it all mean? And here's the question for us. What did it mean? I mean, think about this a little bit. What did it mean for this phenomenon to happen at this particular time in this particular place? I mean, was God just trying to create a, a spectacle as if Jesus wasn't enough going around the countryside, healing people and doing all kinds of miracles? Was God just creating another spectacle? Was God simply trying to get the word out because they didn't have Facebook or Twitter, so you got to do something kind of crazy to get people's attention, right? Sorry, but God is not Barnum and Bailey Circus. Or is there something else that's happening here? Is there something else that, that's at the heart of this particular scene at this particular moment in time? Because you know what? There's another story about languages. An ancient story about languages. And you can, you can leave your finger in Acts chapter 2 if you want to, but shift over and go to Genesis chapter 11. It's a famous flannel graph story for those of you who grew up in Sunday school. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Remember the story? But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Do you remember this story? Old story. One language. Hmm. Just one. And they all shared it. And it said the people moved eastward. Now, this is after the flood. This is after Noah, okay? 
So you have this group of people, and they're moving to the east, to the uh, plain of Shinar. Shinar means two rivers. And so there's a lot of discussion here, but it's very likely that they're talking about the Tigris and Euphrates River in what is now modern-day Iraq. At that time, it would have been um, associated with Babylon and Assyria. Sumeria, another ancient culture, Acadia, even others. But notice they said, let's, let's do this out of bricks. Not out of stone. We're going to do it out of bricks. We're going to bake them thoroughly. This is a technological advancement. Because up until this point, you would, you would simply just make, uh, you would just cut stone and you would build your city. And of course, the higher you get, the harder it is to move stone because they're heavy, right? But if you bake bricks, you can make them uniform and you can, you can actually put them in, in, in patterns that, that fit with one another because of the uniformity and you don't have to cut and the work is very different and it's not quite as laborious. And, and let's put it together with tar so they don't just have to fit into place by themselves, but, but they'll actually stick together. This is technology. Remember in the garden, God told Adam to care and to work the garden. Do something with it. There is something in the human nature to be creative, to push technology, to do things even better. And this is a prime example of that. Let's make some bricks so that we can actually do this. But notice, <clears throat> the technology allowed a new possibility, but look at the purpose behind it so that we may make a name for ourselves, so that they could extol their own value, their own virtue. By the way, really interesting little sideline here. In Genesis chapter 6, before the flood, there's discussion about kind of an age of heroes. And it says in, in there, it says, and this was the age of men of renown. And God looked at all of it and said, it's corrupt and I'm going to wipe it out. And here it says, um, the, the passage here, is let us make a name for ourselves. It's the same word, so that we may be renowned. Exact same word. They are going down the same path as those in Genesis 6. And God is watching this and he's saying, oh my goodness, they're going down the same path. You know, it's interesting to me, a lot of times um, in the current discourse throughout this country, we hear an awful lot about um, kind of human nature and, you know, we're just being kind of, you know, who, you know, we've evolved to be. But nobody's ever talking about original sin. That we all have this propensity to corruption. We all have this propensity to, to do things that well, are self-centered and really not good for us. And God has shown us this at least twice now. He's shown us more than that, but here in Genesis 6 and Genesis 11, human beings are going down the same path and we take our focus off of God and we honor ourselves and that almost always leads to corruption in some form. And I say almost only because I'm holding out the possibility, but I frankly don't believe it. The moment we take our focus off of God and we put it on ourselves, we are bound for corruption. Why? Because we become vulnerable to the schemes of the evil one. 
pure and simple. So in verse 5, there's a scene change, and the Lord becomes the building inspector. He says, boy, there's some power in having the same language, and so he confuses the language, and then they scatter. Presumably, the people who spoke the same language all ended up in the same place, right? Verse 8, he scattered them. They stopped building the city. That's why they call it Babel. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth with different languages. And now, Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, something new, a true reversal of Babel, because they're not all speaking one language, but they're hearing the virtues of God in their own language. Men enabled to speak other languages not just one. And they're not extolling themselves or the work that they've done or their work, but the wonders of God. And under direction and guidance of Holy Spirit, they would not build a tower now. They would build a kingdom. Not just a city, but a whole kingdom where lots of people could be in could be a part of it. And they wouldn't all have to live in the same place. We are all part of the kingdom of God because the kingdom is a group of people. It's not a singular place. And there was no need to reach up to heaven with a tower. Why? Because heaven had come down. And heaven was among us. And he showed us what it would be like. Freedom and healing, and hope. All of those things are characteristics of of a kingdom, not extolling the virtues of some human endeavor, but rather a God who loves human beings enough to set them free. People would be scattered over the whole earth, but they would be unified by the Spirit of God. They were not unified by language, but rather by the Spirit of God himself living inside of each one of them. And they could participate in this kingdom all together no matter where they were. And as the angel told Mary, nothing is impossible with God. You see, when we're yielded to his purposes, when we're yielded to his renown over ours, that's the prerequisite for his power. That's that's really When we talk about the presence of God, we're trying to put his renown above ours. I want to be in his presence. I want to seek his presence so that I can be his presence so that the kingdom can expand and everybody can experience a little bit of heaven. You see, I believe God is good. That's where I want to start. And I believe he wants to release his blessing. And our part is to be yielded and willing to do what he says. And sometimes that means take risks. Sometimes. It seems to me, as I read through this, and I see the Old Testament, and I see the New Testament, and I begin to understand what's going on. I'm just scratching the surface here. There's so much here. Oh my gosh, there's so much here. But it seems to me that the Holy Spirit wants to unify people. Not that we all have to agree on every little thing. That's not what I'm talking about. But there are some fundamentals that we can agree to as a group. 
And the beautiful part about all of this is that Jesus set the tone and he did it at a table. You remember the story. He's with his disciples. He's about ready to be arrested, put on some monkey trial, crucified, but he's with them for the last time. And he he lays out this real simple ritual. It's actually kind of beautiful because there's nothing really special about the ritual itself. A cup, bread. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. Bread. Something would have been common on the table. Gave thanks, broke it, passed it to his disciples and said, take and eat. Every time you do, I want you to remember me. And after the supper, he took a cup. A cup. Everybody has something to drink at dinner. He took the cup. And after he gave thanks, he passed it to his disciples. And once again, he said the same thing. Every time you drink of this, I want you to remember me. Of course they didn't understand. How would they understand? It was the first time it was happening. Very simple. And yet we still do it to this day in some way, shape, or form. And I, every time we take it, it reminds me of two things. First and foremost, when we do this, we're doing what the disciples did 2,000 years ago. It binds us to the past. But the other thing that it does that I find just so incredible is that it ties us to the rest of the world. Because today there are Christians all over the planet who are doing the same thing. They are speaking the same language of grace and mercy. Let that sink in. Regardless of the language that we speak natively, the truth of it is that we are unified with one another through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We're unified in that. So Dan's going to come and we're going to sing. And I want you to understand, as you're taking the bread and the cup and these little packages that we have, there is something so deep, so powerful that's going on there. There's this sense that we're bound together in the same kingdom. I don't know what that means for you today, but I think it means at least you're not alone. And you're not alone in the sense that there's a God who loves you, but there's also a family of believers who love you too. We're imperfect. We don't get it right all the time. But the fact of the matter is that we're learning and we're listening and we're attempting to follow him each and every day. Thrive Church, we have what's called an open table. That means that if you're a believer, this is for you. (laughs) We invite you to be a part of this. If you're not a believer and... and, uh, you don't take the elements, that's fine. Um, Nobody's going to look at you funny. We just want you to observe, want you to enjoy 
what's happening. But everybody understand what's happening here. The kingdom has come. The language is grace and mercy and love. And we get to participate in that every single day. Under Holy Spirit's guidance who lives in us for us. And he comes upon us for others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. I'm so grateful for simple rituals to remind us of just who you really are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, yeah, all those things. But first and foremost, you are king, and this is your kingdom. And for all the citizens of the kingdom, we want to interact with you, and you want to interact with us. And even as we are taking the elements of this ancient ritual, Holy Spirit, we give you free reign to do in your church anything that you see fit. And we thank you that you have been here with us today, that your presence is made known. And Lord, I pray that it would change us in such a way that we would leave here differently than when we first walked in. In Jesus' name, amen.